Welcome to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and challenged today as you listen to a message from one of our speakers. Prepare your heart and get ready to receive a word from God today. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel, which is a little, little farther than halfway through a paper. Are you there already? Gosh, you are sharp. Ezekiel chapter 16 is where we're going to be. Um, and uh, just for an introductory thought, it'll come up on the screen. Here it is. Do you have any experience with unreciprocated love? Like where you pour out love or, or devotion to someone else, but they don't, they're not devoted to you back. Have any experience with that? My first, the first thing I remembered was uh, in elementary school back in the 1800s. We was a one-room schoolhouse where I went to elementary school. <laughs> no. Um, but if you liked somebody, you might pass a note to them that would look something like this, right? I like you. Do you like me? And then you check a box. I'm seeing some people here nodding. Remember back when... This was back when, some of you don't know, there's a thing called paper. We would use paper and a pencil. It wasn't a keyboard. And, uh, and then, you know, they would either say yes or they would, or you, they would not the, return the love you had for them. It would be unreciprocated and you would feel the sting of the no. <laughs> uh, maybe in today's terms, I, at least it's my understanding that... Uh, Younger folks that are exploring dating, they start by talking. Like they, they talk, talking. Maybe you try to, which isn't really talking, it's mostly texting, right? Okay, thanks. I appreciate the help here as I try to navigate this information. But, you know, it could be that you start talking with someone and they decide they don't want to talk to you anymore. And, or they would do the dreaded text, I think we should just be friends. We should, we should do the, so that would be devotion, not reciprocated. Could be a little more painful than that. I was 19-ish, dated a girl for several months, quite a while, and then we broke up. We were breaking up, and I went back to her. <laughs> I, brought, I brought flowers and took balloons, please. Take me back. <laughs> and she said, no. And I still remember that. I still remember after that encounter and driving home, and it hurt. Like, ah, come on. It hurt, hurt for a while. Probably a number of us that have experienced pain that we may still be recovering from or maybe won't completely recover from. If you were in a covenant relationship with somebody and they were unfaithful to you or for probably in a group this size plus the people online some of you were in a covenant relationship your spouse was unfaithful to you and they weren't unfaithful to you once not just not just once but they were unfaithful and you forgave them and then they were unfaithful again and then you forgave them and 
to try it again, and they said, I'll never, ever do it again, and then they did it again, and boy, that is, you know, rip your heart out experience to go through. So it's the idea of unreciprocated love, and we're going to shift here, and uh, something you may not have considered, how many experiences like that does God have? A bunch. Even in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth and they put uh, mankind there. And he gave them so much. Like the perfect garden, the perfect place to live and all kinds of trees and fruits that they could eat. Just would have been an amazing thing. And just said, just, oh, but just don't do the one thing. And I have to believe when they sinned and didn't trust that God was in their best interest. That had to be a sense of betrayal when God found that out. In the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, there are so many records of God extending himself to the Jewish people, the Israelites, and they would, it felt like sometimes, do everything but return the love to him. They would go after this false god or after this stuff, and uh, the, love of, the love affair was pretty one-sided oftentimes throughout the Old Testament. And you get to the New Testament, a verse that's familiar to a lot of us in John 3.16. For even if you don't know much about the Bible, you've probably heard this one, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right? He so loved the world that he sent Jesus Christ to die on a cross. But the reality is, probably most people, even though they know, they've heard the verse, they know the story, they will still not devote themselves to God. Even though he's given Jesus as a sign of love and an expression of his love, but they still, like today, it's Sunday, and they're not even close to thinking about doing church. They're not going to join online. They're not, they're, they're not even, does that make sense? They're not even thinking about God, even though they know the story. It's love that has not been reciprocated. They're just doing their own thing. So hold that thought. We're in this series called Kingdom Stories, and we're studying parables, and which are, are stories that teach us lessons. And uh, we're going to look at an Old Testament parable. It's kind of an allegory, I would say, of God's experience in this season in Ezekiel 16, where he has loved Jerusalem and his people Israel and they are doing, he's gone after them and loved them and cared for them. And they are not returning the love at all. A um, couple notes before we read sections of this chapter. I would encourage you to read the entire chapter. Uh, because we're, I'm going to give an overview and look at parts of it. But read the whole thing. The other thing is as you read it, you'll realize pretty quickly it's pretty raw. There are some things that we're going to talk about today that you would, you might think, that's in the Bible? <laughs> and the answer is, yeah, it is. Uh, so, and if, and if you've got uh, kids listening in today, uh, there might be a few concepts that they may say, what's that? And then you can, you can have one of those adult conversations with them. And you can either say, oh, well, this means this or that. Or you can say, uh, just act like you don't hear them and say, you want a donut? And then they'll forget about it. 
and then you can talk about when they're a little older. However you deal with that as a parent. But, but it's in the Bible, and so we're not going to skip it. Okay? Somebody's writing down, oh, donut. I never thought about that. We should have donuts at our house all the time. Hanging from strings. <laughs> in case you get in a hard conversation, you say, look at the donut. Okay, never mind. So God's giving and giving and giving, and they're not giving back. And this is the word picture, the story that he uses to describe their lack of devotion to him. I'm going to bounce through several different sections. We'll begin in verse 3 where it says, This is what the sovereign Lord says to Jerusalem. Verse 4. On the day, what a word picture. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. In other words, you didn't get the basic necessities of someone who cared about you when you were born. No one looked on you with pity or had compassion enough to compassion enough to do any of these things for you. Rather, you were thrown out into an open field, for on the day you were born, you were despised. Back in this time in history, they didn't, they, if you were throwing something, you just threw it out in a field. This, if you compare it in today's terms, this, this would be like a, an unwanted child being born and being thrown into the dumpster. That horrible? But I mean, every once in a while you hear one of those tragic stories of an unwanted child. That's what, they didn't have a dumpster back then. And so they, this is the imagery God is using. You, no one cared enough about you. You were just discarded in the field. Verse 6. Then, this is God talking, then I passed by and saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew and developed and entered puberty. Your breasts had formed and your hair had grown, yet you were stark naked. Halfway through verse 8. I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. This is a proposal, a commitment of marriage to this discarded, was a child, has grown up into a woman. This idea of spreading the corner of the cloak over, if you need a present day picture, it would be like a man getting down on one knee and saying, I want you, I want to be your husband for the rest of your life. The next few verses describe how devoted the husband is to this, to his wife. There's just, just caring and loving and gifts and a new wardrobe and jewelry. Verse 9 says, I bathed you with water and washed the blood from you and put ointments on you. I clothed you with an embroidered dress and put sandals of fine leather on you. I dressed you in fine linens 
and covered you with costly garments. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your arms and a necklace around your neck. End of verse 13. You became very beautiful and rose to be a queen. Here's where it takes a turn. And the love of the husband is not returned to him. Verse 15. But you trusted in your beauty and used your fame to become a prostitute. You lavished your favors on anyone who passed by and your beauty became his. You took some of your garments to make gaudy high places where, he, where you carried on your prostitution. Verse 17, you also took the fine jewelry I gave you, the jewelry made of my gold and silver, and you made for yourself male idols and engaged in prostitution with them. And it gets worse. Verse 20, and you took your sons and daughters who you bore to me and sacrificed them as food to idols. Was your prostitution not enough? You slaughtered my children and sacrificed them to the idols. And, and from there, he goes on, and you can read it, about a 20-verse tirade about the, his horrible, unloving wife. And if you read it, these are my words, but it's pretty clear in the text. She doesn't just become a prostitute. She, if she ends up being in bondage to sexual sin. Um, I, probably a great description would be she becomes a sex addict because she it, it starts in prostitution, but then eventually just doesn't make people pay. And eventually she is paying other people for her uh, adulterous living. She basically is, pursues everything and everyone except for her husband. In verse 32, I think it kind of sums up a part of it. It says, you adulterous wife, you prefer strangers to your own husband. How many of you are glad you're at church so far today? Isn't this a heavy, like, like can we go to one of the other fun talks you do, Mark, where we laugh a lot? This is so heavy. We're going to stop there, but you can read the rest of the chapter. Um, there's frustration on God's part. There's punishment on God's part. Ultimately, there's redemption on God's part, but I want to stop there. And the title of the talk is A Lopsided Love Story, Ezekiel 16. And the simple idea for the rest of our time is this. I don't want God to feel that way about us. I don't want him, if he's taking notes on Mark, me, and I, I wish, I just don't want him to, to have those kind of feelings about me. I would love it if we... I, all of us, like if God looked down, if he felt like we, were, we loved him back. 
most of us know Jesus Christ, right? He's changed our life, and we've got some understanding of God's appreciation and care for us. Wouldn't it be great if we could return that to him? So that's the idea. There's many thoughts in the chapter. Again, I'd encourage you to read it. I'm going to give you two things that strike me that make me, they tend to motivate me toward being devoted to God. So let me pray. I'll give you two things to think about. God, I would like to be, I've been chewing on this for two months now, and I've been preaching it today a couple of times. I would like to be devoted to you and express love to you well. I don't want to be the alternative. And I know it's a huge temptation of mine. And for many of us. Will you shake us if we need shaken? That we might, because a bunch of us, we really right now, we're like, I want to love God well. So will you give us motivation today? If you'll talk to us, it'll be really, really good. Talk to us, Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Two ideas that'll keep us devoted to God. The first is, we should be devoted to God because he compassionately said, Live. He said, live. This is early in the text when the, the child has been discarded, right? No one cares. And just to be real, that baby's going to die in that field. Unless some, someone or someone some thinks cares about it enough to take care of it, that baby will die. And then in verse 6, is it? Right? I passed by, saw you kicking about in your blood. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. God intervenes in a desperate situation. And what I want to dwell on is this idea. How many times, a lot of us will think of things pretty quickly. How many times has God intervened in your life and said, live, when if he hadn't intervened, you would have not lived. Minimally, you would have not thrived. For some of us, you can think of, I think probably enough of us in the room. Anybody here think ever said, said, I should have been dead by now because of the way you lived? Yeah, tell us what you did. No, I'm kidding. Don't. Right? But there was, by the way, second service was the center service because like half of the crowd just did this thing. But who, who, who in the room, like when you think back, you can think there's at least a few things. Oh, gosh, I should have been dead by now. All right. I, I've got a few things like that. Uh, and the reality, what we're talking about here, if you want a big theological term, I think it's called prevenient grace. It's like you didn't really deserve God's kindness because you were out there doing stupid, dangerous stuff. And by God's grace, he protected you. And for many of us in the midst of it, he even said, I'm going to intervene in your behalf and you're going to live. It couldn't just be physical risk. It could be emotionally. Remember the time when you were laying by the road and no one cared. You're dying in your own sadness. Or relationally you were discarded by people. And God comes along and he, I want to emphasize this, and he sees value in you. He sees value in you. And he says, I care. And he says, live. 
By the way, he sees value in us when there really wasn't value there. I guess there's value there because he sees value in us, but it's not because we were going to add anything to the picture. By the way, the little baby laying out in the field, it's not like, you know what it's going to take? It's going to take energy and effort and love. That baby, that baby's not going to produce anything for a long, 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 long time. It's mostly going to be, any of you have kids, had a kid? Does it work? I'm just asking. Because my kids, there were a little bit of work. There's a little bit of work involved. It's not like, although God sees potential in us, you know what mostly we are to God? We're just a bunch of work. You don't get that? Do I need to talk about this more? Who do you think you are? You think you're all that in a bucket of chips? You're not. God is the one who looks down and somehow he sees you as so valuable. He says, I just love you. He loves you. Isn't that crazy? He thinks, I feel like talking about this some more. Is this nuts? We're out doing stupid, dumb, worthless junk. And God says, I, I love that person and I'm going to intervene in their life. I know in my story, when, when I became a Christian, I was not hunting for God. And I happened to be in a church service. And he spoke, figuratively speaking, he spoke into my life. And said, live. And I was living for lifeless, dead things. In Ephesians 2, 1, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. That's what I was doing when I was 20 before I became a Christian. By the way, that's what I do sometimes now. I end up following the ways of the world. I shouldn't. Some of the times, many times I know better, and I still do it. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Listen, that's what Jesus did when he was on the earth. He just walked around. People were in desperate situations. Humble people in desperate situations. Arrogant people, by the way, he passed by a lot. Humble people who knew their need, he was on it. And he'd help, and he would bring life. From the text, here's a fill in the blank, or if you want to make a note. The mistake of the wife was forgetting what the source of life was. That's the mistake of the wife. Did you notice there I made that rhyme for you, Diane? Did you like that? The mistake of the wife was forgetting what the source of life was. Because the source of life was God who had restored her and bought her all this stuff and put her in fine linen and cool jewelry. God had done all this for her. And yet she then turns to, to like... That's not the stuff that's going to bring you life. So she had the source of life there, but she turned to all these other things. And one thing to think about, if you read the entire chapter, I'm pretty sure this is the case. Even though she was pursuing all this, you know, the metaphor here is sexual sin. She's pursuing all this stuff. There's no mention of satisfaction in any of her sin. It does not mention once as you are out enjoying your prostitution. There's no mention of satisfaction. And can I tell you, for those, isn't that the way it works a lot? 
We end up pursuing stuff. And if we could just be shaken into awareness, we would go, why am I chasing this? It doesn't even satisfy me, but I'm still chasing it. And, and this pursuit, in worst case scenario, doesn't bring pleasure, but it just becomes an addiction and more pursuit of more stuff that really never fixed anything in the first place. Are we not stupid? We're so foolish. And God is so good because he wants to intervene. A uh, couple things to finish up this point. Don't forget, these are practical challenges. Don't forget, don't forget your near-death experiences in life. Like the things that God has brought you through. And it may not have been physical death. But don't forget when God, you know, you were, you were dying in the midst of that divorce. And God came and he spoke life. And he said, you can make it. And we're going to do this. Or the depression or the sickness or the emotional mess. And God is the God who comes along and speaks life and brings hope. Don't forget those times. Because it makes us love him. Right? It makes us go, gosh, I do love God. I remember when he you know, jerked me out of that mess and told me I could make it when I was. Don't forget your near-death experiences. And the second thing, it's good to evaluate, am I looking for life in dead things? So I should be devoted to God because he compassionately said, live. One other thought, should be devoted to God because he vividly depicted sin. He vividly depicted sin. You may have noticed that this is the raw part of the chapter. I already mentioned there's like 20 verses that he includes this list of all the things that the adulterous wife is doing. And there's a couple verses that are maybe the most graphic that we didn't share earlier that I'm going to put on the screen and we'll read them now. This is in the Bible, you guys. You know, there's like G-rated stuff, and then there's PG and PG-13 and R. Here's what this is. You decide. It says, you built your lofty shrines and degraded your beauty. Spreading your, this is in the Bible. Spreading your legs with increasing promiscuity to anyone who passed by. That's not G-rated. And the next part, I, I get, I've been afraid every time I've shared it out loud. But here we go. It's in the Bible. You engaged in prostitution with the Egyptians, your neighbors with large genitals. Too much information, God. Is that crazy? It's, I'm glad you took it off the screen. That's the Bible. Does that make sense? Some of you are like, I'm embarrassed to be here. Some of you are at home, you're so glad you are not here turning red here in our presence. But that's in the, it's in the Bible. And so part of my question is, it's so striking to me because God by nature is fairly uh, conservative and tender regarding sexual activity. He doesn't uh, He doesn't use harsh gross or dirty language when he talks about sex for the most part. He says Bible language is 
and Adam lay with his wife Eve. Right? And God's approach to that almost all the time is let's not make this crass and cursy stuff. So my question here is why does he get pretty graphic? And and here's the the I think, and I'll talk about this in a moment, I think he's trying to get our attention. You know, every once in a while, I think it's easy to gloss over our sin, and sometimes it makes a big difference, and somebody just says what's really going on. And so, this brings up a question for us. There's a fill in the blank. Am I glossing over my sinful behavior? Oh, and this is so easy to do. Am I glossing over my sinful behavior? Here's how it works. I'll let you write that down. Here's one way to look at it. In this chapter, God uses about 20 verses to talk about the wife's sin. You know, my tendency can be my tendency in life. I probably have 20 verses of sin, but I sum it up in like six words. I just say things like, oh, wow, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, wow, I shouldn't have done seven words. Or what about this one? Oops. And God looks down and says, oops. Or, oh, wow, I shouldn't have done that. Or, or I'm sorry. And God would, and I think there are times, I'm sure in my life, and I'm probably pretty sure in a lot of our lives, God looks down and says, you're, you're only using six words to describe the activity you just participated in? That's a whole, that's a whole paragraph, my friend. That's a chapter <laughs> for, for some of us. To, I got a whole book on you. It's about that thick. And don't discount and go, well, it's not that big a deal. And God is recording all, God knows all those things. And I think in this part of this text is just to push it out there and say, okay, let's just get honest about our sin. If you use the rating system, you know, we say, oh, my, my sin, you know, it's like PG. Maybe it's PG-13. And God would say, are you kidding me? That's X. That's XXX. That's like, and we go, oh, no, 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 it's. Specific things, you know, in my life when I say, oh, well, it's, I don't think I told the whole truth. And God says, that's a lie. Or I'll make a second glance at some racy thing and, and I'll go, oh, yeah, I shouldn't have looked at that. And God will say, that's called adultery in your heart. Or some other things that I've been challenged with as I've considered this chapter. I'll spend this amount of attention, you know, this amount of attention, paying attention to what the stock market's doing or, or how to f- take care of finances. You know, spend, oh, we'll, spend, we'll spend at least a couple hours a day figuring out the economy of blah, blah, blah. And, and 15 minutes in prayer for the world. Or uh, just to, to, or we'll watch an entire season of blah, blah, blah on Netflix, right? Hours and hours and hours. And we'll go, oh, it's just, I'm just, I'm just, 
Netflix binging. And here's something that may be happening with some of the things like this that we pursue. We would say, oh, I'm just binging. And God will say, it's called idolatry. You know how many hours we have spent loving this, focusing in on this, and God would say, don't be deceived. You love that, practically speaking, by observation. You just love that 20 times more than you love me. Isn't that scary to think through that? And that's why God uses these, these words in the text to, I think, to wake us up, right? This isn't out of hate. He does this out of love to, like, slap us and go, will you wake up? That's why he says, you, you know, words like, you're spreading your legs on every street corner for everyone to see. Ah! And while you're awake, he's like, wake up to what we're doing. Here's, what I, here's why I think he uses this kind of graphic language in this text. You can write this down. God went into the gory details in hopes of making a big difference. That's why he did it. To shake us up and to wake us up. And this is not a bad news message. It's a good news opportunity. He wakes us up in hopes that we will turn to him and repent and change and be a great lover of God in a world where it's pretty hard and it's challenging and most people are not loving him well at all. That's why he put this in the Bible. It's at least part of why he put this in the Bible. It's not just a historical record of something that happened in times past. He wrote this in the Bible so that we would read it and we would have a second chance or a fifth chance to say, God, I love you. And I'm going to turn from that, and I'm going to return the love that you deserve. That's the opportunity. So we'll finish with this idea, how am I doing it really loving God? Because that's the motivation behind the, the talk this weekend, is let's be exceptional at loving Him. And we're going to, we're going to uh, finish our time in a unique way. Uh, if you're online, stay with us for a few more minutes, because typically right now we would do a stand for closing prayer thing, but what we're going to do is we're all going to have an opportunity to individually express a recommitment to today, God, I'm going to love you well. I'm just going to love you well, and maybe today and tomorrow, and if I mess up on Wednesday, I'm going to come running back, and I'm going to keep loving you more than anything. So here's how it's going to work. Just going to pause, and in the quietness, whenever you pause and consider and make a commitment in your heart, like, I'm going to love you well today, God. You can include in that, will you forgive me for running after all kinds of stuff? And if you make that commitment today, I'm just going to love you well. Where you're at on your time frame, then you can just stand as a response to God's mercy in your life. And I'll wait for, I'm not going to wait a long time, but for a minute or so, my guess is that most of us will end up standing in our own time, and uh, some of us are standing already. But uh, as you ponder that and you recommit to your love for God, then you can stand, and we'll close in a minute or two.
Thanks, Lord, for prevenient grace. Thank you for loving us first. Thank you for seeing value in us when the world, for some of us even, you know, I'll I'll put it for some of us, even when like our parents, like our mom discarded us, you didn't. You came along and saw value. And for some of you, if you're just pondering, I think that's okay. You don't need to stand because most of the room is standing. You can ponder. I do think that the heaviness of this text um, made me just really count the cost of saying I love you. So we can all rise for closing prayer if you're online with us. I hope you participated. God saw you stand. He acknowledges that. He sees value in you. Thanks for listening to the Vineyard Church Weekly Message Podcast. We pray you were impacted by this message. God bless and see you next time.